Welcome to Paid in Puke, the podcast where we discuss female-driven films through an inclusive feminist lens, with the help of the 1988 film, Heathers. Paid in Puke is hosted by Jessica Baxter, Amy Green, and Christina Barr. It's also a spoiler-filled free-for-all. You've been warned. On today's episode of Paid in Puke, We've got spirit for Jamie Babbitt's 1999 sapphic comedy, But I'm a Cheerleader, starring Natasha Lyonne, Clea Duvall, Kathy Moriarty, and Melanie Linsky. It was written by Brian Peterson from a story by Jamie Babbitt. But I'm a Cheerleader tells the story of 17-year-old Megan, who is surprised when her parents send her to sexual conversion therapy because she is the last one to learn that she is a lesbian. While there, she meets a wide spectrum of LGBTQ characters struggling to come to terms with their identities in an environment that tells them everything they are is wrong. Dear Lord, thank you for the abundance that you have provided. Please bless this food that we are about to eat. And Lord, please help us to obey the roles in life you set for us. Megan, we love you. And lately we've become concerned about certain behaviors. You don't even like to kiss me. It's It's true. true. You don't have any pictures of guys in your locker, just these. We're afraid you're being influenced by a... Honey, we think you're a... Lesbian. Mm Mm-hmm. I work for a place called True Directions who help people like yourself learn to understand their homosexual tendencies. What tendencies? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Why don't you start by telling us the first time that you realized that you might be a lesbian? I'm not perverted. I get good grades. I go to church. I'm a cheerleader. It's a long path to righteousness, Megan. It's a battlefield of temptation out there, and you're going to have to fight. I'm not supposed to like you, but... Okay, who wants to go down with me? I'm Jessica Baxter. I've kind of gone back to Amy Green. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Christina Barr. And joining us to discuss the campy cult classic is Kate Pruser. Kate, you brought this film to us. Can you please tell us why you chose it for Paid and Puke? Uh, because you had already done Showgirls, and that <laughs> and Showgirls are the two movies I've seen the most and have shaped the person that I am the most. Wow. That's, awesome. What an answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you see it when it first came out? I did. The funny story about that is I saw it at the Seattle International Film Festival, 
premiered before it got distribution. It was on the film festival circuit. And I'm not like a movie watcher, if you didn't garner that from like the two movies I've seen. (laughs) I've never claimed to have good taste in movies. But I went with a friend who really wanted to win this contest The Stranger was doing where you could get passes to the entire film festival. And she knew a lot about film and I drove and she didn't. This is a very 90s story. So she finagled me to take her, even though I knew nothing about movies, we had to do a sit down quiz. I mean, I didn't know anything about movies. I failed. I, I failed so spectacularly. And she did so well that they actually wound up giving us both the prize. So we both got full passes to the festival. And her, because she was so good and obviously knew things. And we were both like 20 at the time. Me, because they were like, bitch needs to watch some movies. <laughs> Please learn something about this art form. Because <laughs> I had the most hilariously bad test, I got it. And so, yeah, I actually saw it as part of that before anyone else had seen it. And I just remember the whole time watching it. I was one year removed from Catholic school and like super deeply closeted at the time. And I just remember being like, is this allowed? How is this okay? How do I get to like sit here and watch this? So yeah, one of the only movies I've seen, maybe the only movie I've ever seen twice in a theater. Because of course, when it got released, I went back and saw it again. Both times by myself, creepily, weirdly. Uh, I think because I was still not ready to like disclose or talk about that aspect of myself with anyone. So anyway, hugely informational movie. I'm so excited to be here and talk about it. But I am worried because I listened to some of your previous episodes. And I really don't want to have to fight anyone for saying mean things about this movie, even though I recognize that (laughs) there are some real hot problems with it. So we're going to see if our friendship survives, Amy. Oh, I'm not (laughs) worried. Well, I actually had a really hard time coming up with hot problems, so I'm interested to hear what your hot problems are. So why don't we go into that? Shut up. Hot probs is on. Oh, shit, yeah. I've listened to enough where I understand mostly the format of how you like to lay things out, but please take my hand and guide me through. (laughs) Well, Hot Probs is pretty broad. I mean, I guess all our categories are fairly broad. We don't like to be too, you know, rigid in anything. So it's just anything that rubbed you the wrong way. It could be like a glaring continuity error that you couldn't Mm -hmm. unsee. It could be a casting choice you didn't like. Just anything that you're like, know about. <laughs> yeah, there's something that doesn't work for you in this movie. Yeah, and Jamie Babbitt has talked about this, but obviously the depiction of, and some of it is forced by how binary it is, but it's amazing that there's like not a bisexual in this movie, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, you know, at the time, I think that my transition was fooling myself into thinking I was bi for a while, and so I understand maybe it was almost refreshing to have a space that was like, no, it's it's extremely binary, and it's just, you are a lesbian or you're a gay man, and there's no middle ground. So, like, for me, that was very necessary at the time, I think, because it forced me out of this space I was in, but that's, like, a super selfish way to approach it. Obviously, bi people exists and are part of the queer community and this movie completely ignores them and trans people although again in the 90s we were not having that conversation as much as we've been having that conversation now i know that a lot of people read jan's character as like trans mask coded Mm -hmm. or like which i feel like is maybe a little problematic as well yeah well i feel like with her they're kind of trying where it's like some people just have sort of a gender difference gender presentation and sexuality are two different things yeah 
Yeah, that was like as much of a spectrum as they were willing to give it was like, there are many different ways to be a lesbian woman. <laughs> right, or not a lesbian. Or she's yeah, not, right, you know. Yeah. And I do think that the idea that gender presentation is not sexuality was kind of revolutionary uh-huh. at that time. Like, Definitely. That is still a conversation that I feel like we're having and... Jan's like, I like balls. (laughs) (laughs) I've never been gay. Jan, remember, uh, you were molested. (laughs) Just take a look at yourself. I mean, everybody thinks I'm this big dyke because because I wear baggy pants, I play softball, and I'm as pretty as other girls, but it doesn't make me gay. Now that guys can't help it. I just want a big fat wiener up my... Amen, sister. Just because I dress this way or I present this way doesn't mean that I am this thing. I watched it twice in preparation for this, and the first time I was like, ooh, Jan is maybe problematic. And then I watched it again and really came to, no, I don't think Jan is problematic. And I've read trans people, too, on this movie, and they've said they do see some representation in Jan, so Mm -hmm. that's not my (laughs) conversation to have. But it was nice to see that there are people out there who say, like, no, no, this this is something that was my way of seeing myself in this movie. Yeah, you do have to take what you can get in the 90s for that sort of thing. And it's interesting that you mentioned the bisexual erasure because that was a huge problem in the 90s in real life as well. (laughs) So I realized very late in life that I'm bisexual and I had lesbian friends tell me if you like dick, you can't possibly really like women, it's just a phase. They were my friends. They were just trying to help me out and uh, it wasn't very helpful. So that is a problem. But again, it's like the best they could do and they were kind of lucky that they were even able to squeak all of that past the Mm -hmm. censors. Yeah, there's a whole other conversation to have about this movie. And again, something that I think is relevant today, but specifically in the way that female sexuality is policed or graded versus. It's wild to think that this came out basically the same year as American Pie did. And (laughs) this got slapped with like an NC-17 and that skated by with like an R rating. And Jamie Babbitt said she thought this was a G-rated movie. She thought it was (laughs) PG at best because there's no nudity, extremely mild swearing. Yeah. I I don't know that you would have ever gotten away with a PG, but I feel like you could call this movie PG-13. And she had to like take out all this stuff and like lighten up the sex scene, like physically lighten it because the censors were like, no, it's dark. We can't see what they're doing. That's why it's an NC-17. Like, I thought I was doing the right thing by making it dark and like obscuring it. That's so oh, wow. It's almost as if you couldn't make them happy by having <laughs> lesbians in a movie. No, <laughs> no. And what is really striking, first of all, I'm like super bummed out at how relevant this 20 year old movie feels to a lot of the conversations that we're having these days about gender and sexuality and trans kids and this moral panic involving gay and trans kids. Yeah. It super bums me out that this movie is 20 years old and still feels like it's got something to say about that. Mm -hmm. But also so indicative of the fact that what they imagine is always going to be worse. Like what they (laughs) think that kids are getting up to or gay people are getting up to is so, so, so much worse. I mean, we're just just, like living our lives. We're just normal, boring people. (laughs) Awkward first time lesbian sex is the same as any other kind of sex. (laughs) But just by darkening it, you make that space for them to imagine the worst things happening. And I feel like conservatives aren't creative until it comes to like imagining what (laughs) they just like get up to in the bedroom. Right. I know, right? It's almost says something about them. 
It uh, is so tame, and I watched it with my 13-year-old, and she liked it, and she actually did read Jan as trans as well, and maybe that is just because she has trans friends now that she would not have been able to have in the 90s. There just weren't 13-year-olds who could be out like that. No, like, there were a couple kids in my high school who were out and gay, but they were, you know, they were like those girls. But there was not anyone who was trans. And so it's interesting to go back and look at my old high school class and see like, first of all, who's gay now, who's not <laughs> out at the time. But then also who is trans now who could not be out at that time. Yeah. Um, it was so far away, like gay marriage wasn't legal. It felt like something, I was trying to explain this to like younger friends of mine, like we were never gonna get past it. And then all of a sudden, very quickly, it felt like, Things did loosen up and they got more accepting and I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to have rights. This is amazing. And now it's just like absolutely the opposite. Whiplash, shoving everyone back in the closet all over again, trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. (laughs) I know the idea that it's like an epidemic. It's like, no, people are just finally feeling comfortable to say who they are. It's not like they're recruiting other people. It's so interesting the arguments they're able to come up with based on the way they're misinterpreting evidence. Like, oh, there's more trans people now than there ever were. It's like, no, they were always there. They were just too scared to do anything about it. I had a question for you guys about, again, because I'm trying to recognize my blind spots with this movie (laughs) that means so much to me. With the other campers, did you feel like they were fully fleshed out characters or like, are they stereotypes? Is that part of the movie is just having people be these easily send upable stereotypes like Joel the Jew. I've always been <laughs> stuck on Joel the Jew who had a traumatic bris. Yeah, that was his root. Right, the root. They definitely did not do a good job of differentiating the boys, I thought. Right, well, but I feel like some of that in this situation, you're only going to have these like stereotypical flamey kind of gays because those are the ones who get sent to conversion therapy you know like like if there was someone who doesn't present that way I mean we all know lots of gay people who you wouldn't know they were gay from just hanging out with them those people weren't clocked by their parents and sent to conversion therapy you know I am curious yeah. why there's someone from New Zealand. Like, why well, people come from yeah. all over the world to this conversion. Yeah. Thing. Although, I don't know, that tracks like I went to a summer camp that was tangentially related to a cult, and there were people from Europe there. There was like a French kid one year and an English girl one year. And so, the sort of cult mentality can attract people from all around the world. But New Zealand is like as far as you pretty can get. Curious, so. yeah. I just felt like they really wanted Melanie Linsky to be in yeah. the movie. Yeah. yeah. I don't question that. I love her. Love when she she uses her accent. I'm not questioning why she's there so much as like... Yeah, like this this funny. little outfit is international. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, they talk a lot of times about how expensive it is too, so I don't know, maybe she's able to go on these worldwide recruiting trips to find her gays. I mean, that is a but, thing that extremely religious people do as they go to other countries to spread the word true. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, track with the whole missionary aspect. As far as, like, stereotypes, Megan is also kind of a stereotype, you know. She gets rung up because she's vegetarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit, like, homosexual artifacts. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a look at some of the homosexual artifacts I dug up. Yeah, yeah, like, there's the uh, George O'Keefe promo, yeah. which I think is maybe... You've been trying to make us eat this tofu. In diet, watch for a switch to vegetarianism. You don't have any pictures of guys in your locker, just these. Mm-hmm. Please. Sexual. 
even vaginal motifs in artwork and decorating. Gay iconography. It gets more and more ridiculous the more things they bring up until they pull out the full-on Giorgio <laughs> yeah. Watching that in the theater, I was thinking about my own wall. It's like, oh no, there's like a huge Tori Amos poster. <laughs> <laughs> I had recently gone vegetarian and I remember like, ooh. I was being given an intervention as well. Oh, no. And that part where she's like, I'm a homo. I'm a homo. You know, like her Natasha Lyon voice. She has those eyes, like her eyes bug out and cross. She comes to realization. I'm a homosexual. I'm a homosexual. Congratulations, Megan. You have just taken your first step in your true direction. They were right. I'm a homo. It is simultaneously for me one of the funniest moments of the film. It is also heartbreaking because it was so relatable. And also it's heartbreaking because I think she plays it beautifully. She is overwhelmed in one breath. And the way that she reads each of those lines, like, I'm a homosexual, it's part despairing, it's part celebratory. She has tears of joy, but also tears of pain. And she's being forced to go through it in this like god awful her coming out experience is about the worst coming out experience you could have and yeah <laughs> just the way that that joy and pain is twisted up it's a funny movie that constantly dances on the edge of sadness yeah i think the best satires do that to have like moments of true tragedy <laughs> Because usually they're satirizing something that is very painful, and that's why it has to have the comedic element involved. I think that's what makes people so angry about it. There is so much real hurt and pain at the heart of it. You know, she wanted to make a camp movie because there were no lesbian camp movies at the time. She was really influenced by like John Waters and there's an Edward Scissorhands type aesthetic and wanting to take that and make something for the lesbian community that was camp and instead in reviews they were like, oh, this is like a watered down John Waters. <laughs> no, it's <not>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really love yeah. the John Waters kind of vibe to it, too. It was, like, kind of colorful sets. No, I like, love the set design. It's yeah, cool. it is really cool. It's got this, like, comedic aspect to it, but going to a conversion therapy camp or being sent there, all of that stuff is so... Yeah, dark awful, you right. know it's awful and how many parents her, are like don't come her back parents told her she yeah. can't come back and live at home with them and then there's some line where kathy moriarty's like she makes some allusion to suicides it was something where it was like i can't remember the exchange but that line it really hit me like oh mm -hmm. because like a lot of kids kill themselves i mean it's like really hard to well, when your parents are the ones who are turning against you like that, it's like, what could be more of a betrayal? Right. right. And like, her, yeah. you're not their child anymore if you continue to be yourself. I've heard enough of this crap. When you get back from Switzerland, you better have this gay thing out of your system. Got it? I got it. Fuck up. No college, no car, no trust fund. I think that in Graham, you get like little glimpses as to why Graham is so wounded and why Graham does what she does. But when her stepmother is like, this is why your mother left. Blowing each other after your fucking bar mitzvah is a little bit different than learning how to dog paddle. That is totally 
uncalled for. Well, excuse me, but but we're paying a lot of money here to get these kids fixed, not sit around and listen to stories all day. Graham, I hope you're getting a little more out of this program than that basically blaming the divorce or the marital problems that they had which pretty clearly he is drawn to be an asshole and yeah. it's definitely not her fault i think it's one of those times too where you remember like these are kids and they really do want their parents approval they want to succeed megan tries so hard to get like a gold star in <laughs> conversion therapy you know she said i'll be normal soon or andre just like desperately searching for his root trying to figure out why he is the way he is and I realized that when we finished swimming lessons, we would change in front of each other. And that's it. Why I'm a homo. Andre, that's what kids do after swimming lessons. Change. Everybody does that. But I, I took one look at those boys and I got a... You know what? Right, like trying to think of, because everyone comes up with a root, but it's obviously just like to appease Mary, it's not real. <laughs> so he's like trying desperately to think of something that doesn't even exist, and he's like beating himself up about it. I was wondering if Graham's mom was a lesbian, and that's why, she, this is why she left, I read it as like, she left because she couldn't be straight either. I think that there are definitely some shadings to that, although then why wouldn't Graham just like get to live with her and they can be happily sapphic together? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I just wanted like the happiest possible read of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, anybody have any other hot problems? I have some other hot sure. I'm sorry. I don't want to, like, talk all over. No. Oh, I love hearing. Yeah, this is awesome. One of my hot probs is that, first of all, there is just no way that Julie Delphi playing <laughs> <laughs> lipstick lesbian. Talk about, like, the, the amount of talent that is concentrated in this movie. Julie Delphi playing lipstick lesbian makes a beeline straight for Megan. No, absolutely not. She'd never do that. She would absolutely go for Graham. <laughs> girls in that club would be crawling all over heartthrob Graham. So I almost feel like there was a problem with the new Graham. We're supposed to read Megan as the ingenue and she's being introduced into this world and stuff. But I'm like, any lesbian club on planet Earth would just have everyone all over Clay Duvall. It's like Shane, it's the cool hot girl. Like, no, there's no way Megan would not get a second look from uh, Sorry. She does look extremely square. I mean, she doesn't even look like she belongs in any bar anywhere. So square. But I really like yeah. that she embraces her squareness in the end, too. She's like, I can be a lesbian and also be these other things that I wasn't pretending about. Which is something that somebody who turned out to be like a huge mentor figure in my life later on. We took a creative writing class together at the UW and she was like the first lipstick lesbian I'd ever known. And the first way that I could like see myself in this world because I was like, I am not butch. <laughs> I will never be butch. But it seemed to me like that was how you had to be. When I looked around at like lesbian culture or whatever, I just didn't see a place for myself, which was why this movie was so important. And Megan remaining like a peppy cheerleader to the end was important. The woman in my writing class was like, if I can't wear lipstick, it's not my revolution. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That, that has stuck in my mind forever, 20 years later. <laughs> There's also the yelling, kissing trip, like where she's like, Why are you freaking out? It's none of my business. Do what you want. You want me to do what I want? I could care less. What I really want? 
Screw you! And then they kiss. And it's so cheesy. And I do appreciate, like, she was trying to make a lesbian version of Clueless, like a true lesbian romantic comedy. But yeah, I recognize, even though that, that scene is so pivotal for me, taking a step back, I'm like, is this a little trite? I know you guys also did Happiest Season, which to me, this is true acceptance when lesbians get to make bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> the lesbian version of the reality show, what was it called? I watched it. It was such a hot mess. Anyway, I'm like, oh, good. Now we can be represented as terrible people as well <laughs> on reality television. Like, this feels like true equality. Cheesy romantic comedy. You should be able to have any genre you want, and romantic comedies always have the... Hey, it's such elements. a movie thing. Like, <laughs> have you ever done that in your life? I don't oh, think. is it Tampa Bay's B-A-E-S? Yep. No, it's not uh, that. Also, tell me. <laughs> it's, it's a Bravo <laughs> show. <laughs> Our community has so much opportunity for drama. <laughs> I don't remember what it was called. Talk amongst yourselves. Oh, it was the ultimatum. Oh. Uh, the ultimatum queer love. That sounds serious. Where they're like, either we get married and live together for the rest of our lives, or we break up. Oh, that's high drama <laughs> yeah. right there. Wow. Yeah, it's absolutely as bad as you think. Ugh, for so long, every lesbian movie had to be like an indie film mm-hmm. and like so earnest. And it was so sad. And they always died in the end. Yeah. And like that was what I knew about queer cinema growing up. It's shot in like kind of a blue color and it's sad and everyone dies at the end. So this like pastel pink confection of a movie that was for laughs and has a happy ending was like so revolutionary at the time. Absolutely. That definitely tracks for Hollywood is that like any marginalized group, we can only see the marginalized people suffer Mm -hmm. for art. Seeing them have joy, that's that's a little too much in my face pushing your lifestyle in my face right I was also like well why do we want to see that (laughs) your group is known to suffer so why isn't this representation of you half a week in just have straight which is like we already have have so many negative reviews about this which I have written down oh yes this is our segment did you have a brain tumor for breakfast which is all of the insane critical takes at the time. And I will say that to this day, this movie has a 42% Rowdy T score because of all those fucking reviews by dipshits <laughs> in, in yeah. 1999. So, yes, please tell us what you found, Kate. Well, we have Paul Tatara from CNN. <laughs> oh, God, and I used to love him. <laughs> oh, and says it congratulates itself for existing, which just looks to me like a Paul Tatara problem and not a problem with this movie. Yeah. It congratulates itself. One of the least complex movies of the year, which, I mean, I guess you could say it was like not super complex if you completely ignore all the very real devastation (laughs) part of the movie that it's dancing around all the time. Right, like when you say that about You've Got Mail? There's a common thread with all these reviews, I think, where they're mad at the way that the story was told because they expected it should be something else. It's called Lazy Counter Propaganda. Peter Bradshaw from The Guardian said he wished it was a documentary about conversion camps, which is like, what? I mean, that's a very good movie to be made as well, but that's not this movie. Yeah, you'd rather see the real suffering. Like, he wants this to be really happening? 
Why would you exactly. want that? Maybe one of the worst reviews came from David Edelstein. He said, a straight film that makes homosexuality look repulsive would be justifiably criticized, and there's no reason for a gay film that makes heterosexuality look unnatural and tasteless should be judged by a different standard. <laughs> oh my so God. Basically, what? He was, he was I get uncomfortable when it's not about me. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God. Is this about me? It's not? Now I hate it. <laughs> doesn't really say anything about heterosexuality, really. Yeah. It says something about Christian sexuality, I guess, but yeah, definitely not heterosexuality in general. That is insane. Yeah. Like, if you feel like your sexuality is being sent up by this movie, then I feel like that's a deeper conversation you need to have with yourself and not with this movie. That's so true. Stephen Farber from Movie Line called it ham-fisted and witless, which I guess some of these reviews I thought were funny, and some of them, like, really did make me mad. Barry Parrick is from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, called it a grotesque burlesque of a gay chick flick. What? Uh, what? Kevin Ice of the LA Times suggested, this was maybe the funniest slash worst. He suggested a pair of male directors to be better oh. suited to the material, including Todd Solons and Ugh. Miguel Arteta Ugh. and Mike White. Right. So yeah. Because Same again, he wants to see the tragedy and suffering. It's, so right. so it's not good unless everyone's having a terrible time in the movie. And actually suffering so, and there's also, no comedy. Maybe you should send in some men to do right. this. Right. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's as far as I got the bad reviews because I had to stop because it tipped over from being just funny to me at how much they didn't get it into actively making me angry. Yeah. And I know that Jamie Babbitt is still angry about it because she's she's referenced the fact that she got an F in Entertainment Weekly for the film multiple times. And to this day it was the only F she'd ever seen in Entertainment Weekly. Oh my god. Which just seems so harsh for a film that just wants to make a certain number of people happy. It's just so wrong. It's crazy when that happens. It's better received now. I saw lots of 20-year anniversary reviews and that sort of thing, but it just wasn't enough to counteract the sheer barrage of negative reviews that came out at the time. Yeah, it's rightfully regarded as a cult classic now and as... I think recognized for what it was doing that was transgressive, progressive, whatever essive you want to put on it <laughs> at the time. But I wonder, because Jamie Babbitt just went back and she directed a couple other films, Itty Bitty Titty Committee, which I did not see, and obviously like was involved in other things, was involved in helping Clay Duvall make Happiest Season. But really, she's just been directing a bunch of TV shows ever since. Yeah, like, I saw that. She did a lot of Russian dolls. She did dolls. an episode of Only Murders in the Building. She's done a bunch of like teen dramas. And she's pretty well respected as a TV director. But it felt like, okay, back in your box, woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're very cute and fun, but that is for television. And we're going to leave the serious auteurs, the male directors <laughs> over here. Yeah, she did an episode of Nip Tuck. That was basically trash TV pretending to be prestige TV. And then Gilmore Girls is for the ladies, so of course she's allowed to direct that. Right. But that is something uh, that like a lot of misunderstood directors were able to do, at least, is to find art in television. I'm glad mm-hmm. that there's so much artistic television now, but... It'd be nice if they could do movies, too. I am glad. I just wish that she'd gotten a little more credit for this. Jealous much? A lot of people really wanted to be involved in it. Like, Natasha Leone picked this script up. So she'd already cast Clay Duvall. She essentially wrote the part for Clay Duvall with her writing partner, the guy who did the script. And then Natasha Leone was getting a ride back from an audition. They both auditioned for Girl Interrupted, 
<laughs> Clea got the part, Natasha did not. And Natasha saw the script in Clea's car and was like, what's this? And at that point, Michelle Williams was maybe in talks to play Megan, mm. but she was on Dawson's Creek at the time. And Jamie Babbitt wanted Rosario Dawson to be Megan, but was talked out of it because her executive producer was like, you're supposed to be telling this story about this all-American and people just won't relate to her because she's Puerto Rican, which is its own form of... Uh, <laughs> which is sex. part of America. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, so Natasha Leon was just like, I want to be in this. Can I be in this? And Melanie Linsky was basically in it because she was friends with all of them. Oh, nice. So then I feel like we missed the opportunity to have like our own kind of lesbian rat pack. (laughs) (laughs) The pussy posse, the real pussy posse. (laughs) These ladies should have just been making like a bunch of movies together throughout the early 2000s, which was really, in a lot of ways, kind of a golden age for gay cinema. But I'm a cheerleader, walked so Debs could fly. <laughs> I was very happy to see Michelle Williams at the very beginning, at least. I love her so much. I watched Dawson's Creek basically for her because she was so good and so much better than the material. Yeah. So I was really and excited. She wanted to be in this so badly that oh. she scheduled it around. She'd work on Dawson's Creek all week and then fly in on the weekends oh, to fill her small little role in this. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle Williams has always been better than what she's been given to work with. Although she's very good at Brokeback Mountain, if we're talking about gay cinema classics. The four leads in that just kill it. They just absolutely destroy that movie. That's a movie that I loved but can't really watch because it's too fucking sad. Like, I get depressed for days afterwards. And again, like, another movie that got well-received because it did what a gay movie was supposed to do. Like, mm-hmm. Everybody in it's miserable. Everyone's living a lie. And, uh... No one gets to the one they love. It's, it's just a really big bummer, and you're like, yes, Awards. this is the gay experience. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> This is what we want the gay experience to be. Gay happiness is transgressive and revolutionary and political. I hope that kids these days have access to this movie. It's kind of hard to get. It obviously doesn't run on any of the major... Like, I want to know how teens are experiencing this movie these days because there's a fair amount of people who, like, cosplay it on TikTok and stuff because (laughs) my dream is to be Megan for Halloween one year. Mm. I don't feel like anyone would get it. (laughs) I just be like, oh, you're a cheerleader. No. But it does seem like it's getting to the kids. So, yeah, those of you with teens, I'm interested in how teens approach this movie if it will carry forward. <laughs> well, I'm happy to say that I did the best I could because I watched it with my 13-year-old and then she told a bunch of her friends at school about it. So good. I have the DVD, so I don't know. Is it streaming? Did you? Yeah, we watched it streaming. Okay, good. So it is accessible yeah. because, like, yeah, having it be only on physical media is a pretty big stumbling block <laughs> for the, the Zs and Alphas to find things. You blow it tonight, girl, and it's keggers with kids all next year. I have my child, Fern, 13 years old. Hello. So, Fern, you watched But I'm a Cheerleader with me in preparation for the podcast. What did you think about the movie? I really liked it, personally. I didn't know that there were movies like that that were, like, so open about being pro-LGBT 20 years ago. I didn't know that media like that existed. I thought it was really good and insightful about, like, the struggles of kids that were forced into conversion therapy. I really liked the movie. I thought it was funny and charming, and I liked the characters, and I found it relatable. What were some aspects that you found relatable? 
the like denial at first of being a lesbian but then realizing that if you're accepted by the people around you, then you don't have to be worried about who you are. I also learned that conversion therapy is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd never even heard of it, right? When we were watching it, you're like, is this a real thing? Yeah, I didn't and like it. Is. I, yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that it was actually like that. Child abuse and yeah. kind of like perverted to do that. To, like, be so invested in a child's sexuality that you, like, force them to be sexually attracted to the other gender. Comparing a healthy relationship to, like, whatever the hell they're doing there. (laughs) Yeah, it didn't seem like what they were going for was very healthy, did it? No. Yeah. Conversion therapy, I feel like, is just teaching your kid to lie, to be a good liar. (laughs) Either lying to you about their sexuality or lying to themselves about their sexuality. Yeah, it's a very good observation. What was your favorite character? I like the goth girl. She reminded me of Logan, and I thought she was cute. <laughs> she dressed like Logan. I also like the main character, Megan, because you just get thrown into it and realize that you're having these feelings that you don't quite know how to process. It's especially tough when the people around you aren't understanding or accepting. And I'm really glad to be growing up in a family that does accept me. Yeah. I have experienced bigotry before. I feel like their representation of it is very accurate, saying that this is not who you are. You are wrong. Your mind has been poisoned. You were not born this way. You are supposed to be something else. I've seen that. I've heard that before. Using religion as an excuse to control your kids' beliefs and identity. And it's just really gross. It's kind of having the opposite effect on me if you really want me to believe that there is a god and that he doesn't like me for who i am then you know why should i believe in him right if there is a god <laughs> like if god didn't create me the way i am then i don't think he created me at all i made myself you made me mom <laughs> and you really helped me figure out who i am so you know i have you to thank for who i am today and i'm really glad to have such a supportive family And that is something that all kids should get. All kids should be accepted for who they are, who they want to be, and not be controlled by what their parents believe. And I like how that movie depicted that. If you do stuff like that to your kids, it's not helping them become who you are. Your kid isn't going to be exactly like you. And you have to accept that or they're going to become distant from you because they know when they're around you, they feel like they can't be themselves. And I really like the way that movie portrays it, because if you don't raise your kids properly, somebody else is, and then they're not going to see you as their caretaker anymore, because they don't think of you as someone that they can trust. Yeah, that's what I really don't get about it, is why would you want to push your kids away like that? Yeah, for just being themselves, and not being at all harmful, just wanting to have healthy relationships with other people their age. It doesn't matter what their gender is. Also, not right to think that there are only two genders, because gender is a spectrum and doesn't line up to sex, and there's a lot of things to learn about it. But once you get the hang of it, it's pretty easy to not be a bigot. It's easier if you just like, have to, to try people when you do know that it's a spectrum like that because yeah. if you don't expect people to be anything, it's much better for everyone if you just say, Hello, tell me who you are. Yeah. 
if I want to abide by someone by their correct pronouns, then just ask them. Don't mm-hmm. assume by how they look. A lot of trans people, people don't even know they're trans until they've been told. And then after that, they purposely refer to them as the wrong pronouns. It's yeah. actually harder to do that than just listen to people and try your best and if you get it wrong then correct yourself and try to be better about it it's a lot easier than purposely just being an awful person right i know it seems like it'd be so hard to live with so much hate in your heart all the time yeah Weird like there's just so much setup in the movie this entire house and their parents are paying so much money and there's all these like props and literally like putting kids on shock collars yeah like the kids left school they weren't going to school it's not yeah. good either they it was during like, school they were education. missing <laughs> curriculum i think they said it was this. four months or something four months yeah and like the way they're doing it is not even very effective also extremely <laughs> sexist the boys play football and fix the stuff and then the girls put diaper on and clean <laughs> house and make food for the boys mm-hmm. also there was i'm pretty sure a trans boy and they put him with the girls yeah we talked about that jan is not necessarily within the text a trans boy but they're definitely there. I mean, everyone's there under duress, but they're even being told what you are is a lesbian and that's wrong. And Jan's like, I'm not a lesbian. <laughs> yeah. You're wrong about all. Of- but then our guest told us that she has met many trans people that said it does read as trans, even though it couldn't be explicitly that in the text at the time. Like that was yeah. just something that was unheard of. They weren't really allowed to say that. Basically, as much representation as they have is as much as they could get away with. And even then, there's a of backlash for it. Yeah, but I still like yeah. that they really, really tried. They really tried. They, um, did, represent they did their absolute everyone. best given so many limitations. And I really love them for that. The yeah. movie was charming and funny and I just really loved a lot of the stuff about it. How awful conversion therapy can be and it taught me a lot. The fact that they outright have people say the F slur, like this movie is just very unleashed and ahead of its time, really. Yes, very much so. Yeah, you said you didn't know there could be movies like that from the past, and there really weren't. That was that was basically it. There were a couple of others, but it's few and far between with queer representation in the 90s. Yeah, we don't even really have that much stuff like that now. Yes. Like, on, like, big budget stuff. Well, that wasn't a big budget film. Or, like, yeah, just it is on... getting better, but we still... Again, it's like, oh, we gave you one. Why isn't that enough? Thank you, Fern. Thank you, Mom. I say we just grow up the adults and die. I have a fun fact. I know that usually backs you, you handle the fun facts. But. <laughs> no, anyone can have a fun fact. Heather, my love, there's a new sheriff in town. Very, I just really like them. In my researching of this movie, <laughs> while we're talking about people who are involved in this, Ioni Sky was thanked in the I credits. Oh, yeah, yeah, she was yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. She it's was? because yeah. there's a deleted scene, which you can see in the director's cut, which was streaming for a little while. I don't know if it's out there anymore, but you can see in the director's cut, there's like an informational video that Megan watches when she gets the true directions. And it's like, here is so-and-so, and now she lives this happy heterosexual life. <laughs> and the person in question is Ioni Sky. Kelly had hopes of being a model one day. That is, until she was recruited into the homosexual lifestyle. She made me do things with other women. She drove me on the back of her Harley like I was some showpiece. But Kelly sought help 
After just two months in True Direction's easy five-step program, Kelly rediscovered her femininity and embraced her true self. On March 16th, 1996, Kelly was married. That's so funny. That was in the version I watched this week. Oh, really? So, like, yeah, I guess so. I didn't realize it. Yeah, I was like, oh is my god, I only the director's cut. Like, this is not a Zach, what's his name situation. It adds two minutes, maybe. She was obsessed with this idea that the movie had to be like a lean machine, 80 minute running time max. I think the, the director's cut version is 85 minutes or something. It really doesn't add anything significant. Again, such an example of how, like, as women, we're like, gotta squeeze myself down, gotta be smaller, mm-hmm. gotta be aerodynamic, lean, tight, can't take up too much yeah. space, can't take up too much of people's time. Okay, I watch a 300-minute version of this film. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Nolan's man-spreading all over his running time. I had a fun fact, but I wish I could find more about it, which was that there was an actress they had in mind originally, but she couldn't do it because of religious reasons, and I could not find who it was. Do you know who it was? No, one day I will find Jamie Bavitt, and I will make her answer that question for me, because I lie awake at night and think about who it could be. Yeah, I really wanted to find it. I think it's just not, it's like, wow. it was, you're so vain about. That's just really, a really yeah, very deep, wow. <laughs> yeah, I think the exact quote that I read somewhere was, I can't have my face on this movie poster for my mom to see, or that my parents would see, or yeah. something like that. Huh. Which again, I wonder if that would be an issue these days, but I think really speaks to like the time and that kind of gray zone of acceptance that we're in where like you could make a movie like this but it would run into all these ratings restrictions and it would only be released certain places and it would have to play the film festivals first and like this movie is a silly romantic comedy for all its serious subject matter it's not like to me what i think about when i think about a film festival movie but i'm very <laughs> glad that's how it came into my life yeah. yeah, happy to say that film festival movies aren't just Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> They've had these cute, quirky movies in them for a while, but they aren't the ones that end up getting picked up and getting awards thrown at them. No. I've already started underlining meaningful passages in her copy of Mopey Dick, if you know what I mean. Uh, what do you start, Kate? I mean, I already gave my most <laughs> meaningful passage, which I think is like, I'm a homosexual. It's <laughs> truly really just great acting. I think Natasha Lyonne is so special as an actor, and you always see her as these tough, edgy characters. It was so <laughs> nice to just be an America's sweetheart kind of thing, even though I know that was a stretch for her. Yeah. One of the lines that always makes me laugh is when they're doing all their roots, and <laughs> Sinead's as, I was born in France. Those are all really funny. I think it might be a great idea for Megan to be reminded of your root, Graham. My mother got married in pants. Duff. <sighs> Too many locker room showers at the varsity team. Hillary. Um, all-girl boarding school. Clayton. My mom let me play in her pumps. I like balls. My mother got married in pants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was just so <laughs> random. Like, okay. <laughs> and again, the way that she delivers that with like this kind of mock sincerity, like she knows it's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like she had to just basically make that up or think of some dumb thing to appease Mary because she won't let it go. Like you have to do every single yeah. step the way she wants you to do it. So you just have uh, to bullshit your way through the program. <laughs> yes. 
Well, speaking of somebody who doesn't bullshit their way through the program, I think Andre is so over the top and so camp that like could have just been a really one note character. But there's actual struggle in trying to figure out the root. That scene where he's sitting there with his parents, who are obviously Latino descent, which just kind of points a finger towards homosexuality in Latin culture and how difficult that is. Mm-hmm. Like, I would have watched a whole movie about Andre. Yeah. But when Andre gets kicked out of the program, he has that great exit line. Congratulations, liars. You know who you are and you know who you want. Ain't nobody gonna change that shit. Ain't nobody gonna change that shit. Let's <laughs> go back to when Mary says, Andre, we don't swear or use double negatives. Yeah. So of course his like exit line is both those things. Andre? Shit, Miss Mary, I ain't the only one who got no root. Andre, we don't use profanity or double negatives here at True Directions. That is awesome. <laughs> I wrote that down. We don't use profanity or double negatives. I really appreciate the poetry in that line. I also just really like when RuPaul is like, I myself was once a gay. I myself was once a gay. Now I'm an ex-gay, Megan. <laughs> I always thought this was a gay. A gay is very funny. RuPaul out of makeup is also kind of a revelation. Yeah, yeah nobody had really seen that at the time. Yeah. Now you see it all the time on Drag Race, but that was like his face reveal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like... First time you've all been AWOL? Larry and Lloyd are ex-ex-gays. From True Directions? We were among Mary's ranks before we defected. We're just trying to provide you all with a balanced perspective to see that there are options. In the end, it's up to you whether you choose to live a lie. Whether you want to be who you are or keep it hidden is really more what you're about. So you run like the underground homo railroad. (laughs) (laughs) Larry, Larry and Lloyd, Morgan Gordon. I totally <laughs> forgot. Oh, I know. Guy. The Night Court guy. I was like, oh my yeah. god. It's such a fun cast. I mean, I love seeing Bud Court in anything. Like oh, yeah. And Mink Soul, which is like yeah. a nod to her influences. I feel like she is influenced by John Waters, but in the good way. Like, she has, hey, she's like, not copying nothing. him. She's just having little homages. And so it's mm-hmm. so fucking unreasonable to be like, you should have been more like him. Like, you should have <laughs> ripped him off more. Because that's what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. Also, this isn't a line, it is all silent, but like the conversation that they have with their eyes that Megan and Graham have in the room before they like sneak off to go have sex. And it's just like, (laughs) obviously this is not a visual medium, so I can't make it clear, but there's just this great interplay between the two of them. And Megan kind of looks towards the door, like, you want to go out and have some fun? And... There is so much chemistry, and you really see it's because they were good friends and they really do love each other, have remained lifelong friends. I know Claire Duvall was instrumental in pulling Natasha Lyonne back sometimes, you know, when she hit some rock bottoms with her addictions during kind of that dark period where she like dropped off. Sort of between this and when she started doing Orange is the New Black, she just had like a dark period. Yeah, she she almost died, I remember that. Yeah, so I feel like there's so much trust and love between the two of them, and it really, really comes across. There's so much chemistry in this movie. There really is. And it's so There's a lot of pining. I'm a real sucker for pining. Love me a good pine. (laughs) (laughs) My friend Alicia from Gal Pals Watch also says that. She loves a lesbian pine. Scent of the pine. There's so much of this. <laughs> Again, when we go out to cocksucker. <laughs> I loved that. That is yeah. so funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. 
my kids were not, they didn't really get it, but it is because so many gay bars have, like, innuendo, and this one's just, like, straight right. up, this is yes. what happens. Yeah, we watched it with Matt, but it's like, <laughs> like, they always have these, like, little secretive names, yeah. code names, not suckers. No. <laughs> Which also, like, is representative, because, you know, it's them getting to, like, experience their authentic selves. When Megan comes into the bathroom, there's Graham in that black shirt. That uh, was a real, like, oh, moment for me. <laughs> As it was for, we were going through that at the same time, me and Megan. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm a homosexual. I definitely related to the line about, it was in the intervention, I think, but it was like, you have so many pictures of women up in your locker, and you're always, like, looking at women. She's like, everybody has those thoughts when they look at women. And then they were like, no, they don't. I'm not like all of you. Everyone reads Cosmo. Everyone looks at other girls all the time. But you only assume that they're thinking what you're thinking when they look. But they're not. Everybody had those thoughts. That was something that kind of literally happened to me. There is so much of that where it's like, what is friendship? Again, when they're out at Cocksuckers and Graham like pushes her out to dance with Julie Delpy because they're just friends. And then she like has that look of anguish watching Megan dance with someone else. Hi, would you like to dance? Sure, she does. I'm oh, sorry, I can't. That's okay. Just that is no problem. One dance, you can't dance with a girl for one second, guy. Sorry, I just don't dance much. That whole interplay, I was like, oh! There's something that is so specific about that part of gay experience. We're friends, but I like you, but I have to be a good friend to you, so I'm gonna, like, support you in dating this other person, even though it makes me feel like a swallowed cheese grater. It's fine. <laughs> That's the kind of lesbian angst that I want to see on the big screen. Not yeah. so much my parents are going to disown me, because yeah. sometimes, like, both are relatable, but there's one that I feel like relating to more often than the other ones. Sure. I am so glad that they have that post-credits singer where Megan's parents are at a P-Flag meeting. Flag. For the flag. For flag. <laughs> <laughs> In beginning, do you like the sound of the other? I just That's really why I think it's nice, too, that you see that one still hasn't really come around, you know? Yeah. It seems like the dad is like, okay, I'm here for it, and mom is still like... But she yeah. went there. I know, she yeah. went there. Yeah, no, I... So they're really right. trying. I like right. that. That is nice because then, like, the last thing you hear before that is that she can't come home. So even though it ends with her getting together with Graham, it's like, oh, but she's still disowned. <laughs> but then she's going to be out of that house soon anyway. But her parents did not disown her, which is really nice. Fuck all those other parents, though. Fuck all those other parents. <laughs> it is funny because part of Megan's root, they've discovered the true root, which of course is not really any kind of root, but like <laughs> her dad was emasculated because he didn't have a job for a while and her mom had to work. And, ah, your father was a doormat and your mom was domineering. You know, we've kind of been like this greeting card family. And then there was that one year where well, dad was unemployed and mom had to support us. Well, maybe seeing mom kind of being the dad, maybe I... Maybe I got kind of the wrong idea about the roles of men and women? Absolutely. You know, I can't believe that you didn't mention this earlier. Your father was emasculated, your mother was domineering. Well, not exactly. You wanted to emulate your mother. You have no respect for men because you don't respect your father. It's really not like that. Megan, you have found your root. 
sort of yeah. at the end you see like oh well her mom is a strong figure because she's the one who hasn't really come around yet to accepting her and dad is maybe the more accepting one mm-hmm. just thinking on the more masculine role of being more yeah. intolerant <laughs> yeah. it's also a familiar twist though i don't know if you've seen mavi and rose which was my favorite movie before yeah. i watched this movie it's french and it's a little kid who grows up and wants to wear dresses and at first you think the mom is going to be the more sympathetic one but then there's like a switch in the dynamic and the father actually becomes the more accepting one and the mother is the one who like pushes the child away mm-hmm. it's a similar shift here like you expect the mom to be the more nurturing one but yeah it subverts that expectation which i like Yeah, it's representation for straight women, too, and different (laughs) kinds of moms. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's good. Maybe you can wear pants and have a job. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe dads can be the soft, squishy ones, you know, comfort you when you're feeling sad. I don't remember who said it, but I did like when someone was like, you are so good at being straight. (laughs) (laughs) That's Joel the Jew. Joel Joel the Jew says that. (laughs) Because Grant, get her cake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked Kathy Moriarty and her son. Like, rock. just rock. rock. Yeah. Yes. Hi, Mom. Flowers are pretty. I know. Anything with rock. Yeah, he was hilarious. He's drinking out of like some squiggly straws. He's got like a cocktail with a straw. (laughs) And she's like, chug it like a man. Not in my presence. I have told you over and over again. No more sipping. Chug it like a man. Come on, chug. (sighs) There. It's got severe, like, no wire hanger ever. Right, yeah. yeah. What if I told you? No straw. (laughs) I did read a criticism in a review that was negative overall, but one of the criticisms was that she was too Joan Crawford. I'm like, what do you mean? She's bad. That's literally not a thing to Joan Crawford, first of all. And second of all, yes, that's the idea. I (laughs) thought she was perfectly cast. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great. Yeah. And you see she's really dealing with some stuff, too, when she's going through the thing about the woman, and she's like, putting lipstick over her full lips, starting her body. Why don't we concentrate on the first step? You admitting your problem. That when you see a woman in a tight skirt, in her long, beautiful legs, or perhaps she's in the bathroom, putting lipstick over her full lips, or maybe in the locker room, Soaping her body, rubbing her breasts. You don't have any unnatural thoughts. I don't think it's unnatural. Aha! You see, you don't even think it's wrong. Like, she gets a little too into it. I think about, like, totally hammering on the old, the people who are repressing you are the most who have something to repress themselves. Which is tired, and yet also, unfortunately, true. It's, like, uh, so true. It's true a lot of the time. (laughs) Yeah. It wanders into that territory for just a little bit, and then kind of pulls it back. And you're like, oh, I see. I see why you're on this crazy crusade. Right. (laughs) (laughs) The self-loathing. The self-loathing gay. (laughs) A trope that you see again and again. Like I said, I wish that this movie did not feel relevant to today as much as it does. (laughs) Still got a long way to go, unfortunately. What else does a suicide need, huh? Now, if you'll excuse me. So this is what's called a lunchtime poll. 
Did you think about the lunchtime poll, Kate? I tried. I, <laughs> I don't know if I have a good answer. Would you like to go? You don't have to go last. Then. Who would like to start then? Well, let's say what it is. <laughs> oh, right. The lunchtime poll is. So this one's called a lunchtime poll. <laughs> the question is, what is something you didn't know about yourself until someone else pointed it out? I'll go first because I could have had like seven answers. <laughs> but this was a fun discovery for me because I, about a year ago, we were playing a game that we made up called Rank You Next. And one of the categories was most reckless. And Matt was the one ranking and he put me at the top. And then he's like, I mean, let me explain. Like, you know, almost missed your dad's funeral, missed the train coming home. You know, I'm yeah. like, okay, fair, right? So then we got home from that trip and I was talking to Logan and I was like you know we were playing this game and Matt ranked me as most reckless and Logan's like yeah totally <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like duh you didn't know that and I was like oh and they were like well you know like when we go on trips and you don't know like where we're supposed to be like Logan had like three other reasons that were different from the ones Matt had and then I started sort of paying attention to this trait and I was like oh yeah I guess I have like I mean, it'll be fine you know? well I was gonna say one of your catchphrases is Literally, it truly is. It'll be fine. I'm sure it's, it's fine. It's probably fine. I'm sure it's fine. But I also <laughs> say those will probably be my last word. I'm sure it's yeah. fine. <laughs> that doesn't make you any less reckless. No. <laughs> Knowing that. Yeah. I, it's probably fine, right? <laughs> Such a good answer. <laughs> That's a great answer. Well, I, I just learned a couple weeks ago. Well, Andrew told me when I sleep, I kind of like sleep like this with my chin resting on my <laughs> I don't know. Like a like yeah, like kind of like a thinker's pose. Like I'm thinking really hard. <laughs> and somehow that really blew my mind. I'm like, what? So, so cute. It's <laughs> very cute. <laughs> I was like, I don't have a good answer. And then we were talking about it before Pod. As we were talking, I remembered a therapist pointed out that every time I'm talking about really tragic shit, I laugh a lot. Oh. <laughs> And that came up in the conversation. Came up right. I know. I'm still like, what was funny about and it's that? Like, yeah, it's an interesting coping mechanism. He was like, maybe it's because you had such a sad childhood that you were trying to figure out how to get through that. And I mean, I didn't even notice it really, and now I notice it a lot. But I literally can't help it. It's like a reflex. I say some tragic shit, and then I laugh. So. I don't know, maybe it's, I think I'm diffusing the tension, or I don't want people to feel bad for me. I don't know what it is, but... Or I think it's maybe like a, not fear of intimacy, but like it's hard to deal with sad stuff, you know? So it's yeah. like, oh, don't worry about it, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, what's the alternative? Like, right. It's, it's, it's like acknowledge that something yeah. is sad or painful. Yeah, like, I feel like that's not so uncommon. I get that. <laughs> I mean, sort of what this movie does, right, is, like, there's so much sadness inherent in this when you really drill down to all these kids just want to be normal and they want to please their parents and that's why they're here. Their parents want them to be happy and that's why they're spending all this money for them to be here. But it's in this satirical kind of vein so that none of that weighs things down too heavily. I think that that is historically and especially among marginalized communities something that people do. And that's why I want to watch this movie over and over again in Brookback Mountain only once. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Yes. 
I mean, for me, I did not have an intervention, and the movie was in some way an intervention, but I do remember I was at a party, and there was a boy who liked me, and everyone was like, he's gonna ask you out. So the way that I dealt with this was by finding a piano that had like a long grape over it, and I hid it under the piano <laughs> for the remainder of the Yeah. And I remember like emerging after he had left and my friends kind of looking at me and being like, is that the right response? What's going on with you? And I was like, what's going on with me? Which I did not act on or make anything. But I remember them looking at me like, that's not a normal response. And internalizing, oh no, that is not a normal response to a perfectly nice <laughs> boy who I've been friends with for the better part of this play that we're working on. And I was like, what? with me <laughs> something is afoot here <laughs> but it took me a while to put everything together but yeah i emerged from that piano like so sweaty and triumphant that i just remember my friends looking at me being like mm, what's going on with you did anyone see you go in there it was a surprise when you came out. Yeah, no, I found a room that did not have anyone in it, and I was like, under the piano. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of a heist movie did I think Glass <laughs> onion kind of murder <laughs> And then you witnessed a murder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really but cute. That was, that was probably the biggest thing that I've ever not known about myself, but I do feel like it's such a gift for someone to reveal you to yourself. And it does usually come when you have somebody who's really close to you, like a partner or a parent or a child. So it's a little bit of an act of love, I think. So even though Megan's friends and family were obviously in the wrong, they all thought they were doing something nice for her. Like, yeah. it's kind of hard to hate them because... They're very concerned. They were trying <laughs> to do something that they thought made her life easy. And I feel like that's something that a lot of gay kids run into when they tell their parents. It's like, it's not necessarily that parents are bigoted or that they disapprove, but, like, they just want your life to be easy. And they know that this is not an easy life. And... Right. Yeah, so I feel like a lot of times when somebody is revealing something to you, sometimes that can be really mean and hurtful and mm -hmm. come from a hurtful space because they want to, like, control you with that information or something. But a lot of times it's just the act of having been seen by someone and it's loving. So even if it's something that's kind of tough to swallow, like, oh, you're reckless. Yeah. <laughs> you have to appreciate where it comes from. Oh, I did yeah. appreciate it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Everyone who had several examples, everything <laughs> did turn out fine in all of those situations. So I was like, all right, keep it up. <laughs> It'll be fine. Right. And it was. <laughs> Narrator, it was fun. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one thing that it was kind of a big revelation to me as a person who grew up Catholic but was an atheist for a very long time and early on was that some of them really do believe in hell and fire and brimstone and eternal suffering. They think that you're going to be like poked with a pitchfork by Satan for all eternity yep. if you make these decisions. And if that were true, that fucking sucks for people you love. You don't want that to happen to them. It's hard to think like that, but when you see it from their point of view, you're like, okay, I guess it is coming from a good place, theoretically. <laughs> Yeah, like on the micro level, on the macro level, I think we do not have to extend that compassion to politicians or okay. culture warriors who are using gay or trans people as a cudgel. Yeah. They don't get that benefit of the doubt. But I think on the micro level, in one person relating to another, in parents trying to protect their kids 
not as a way to do this culture war bullshit or whatever, but because they really are genuinely invested in wanting the best for their kids. And so that's maybe something where I could stand to do some self-examination and try to find some more compassion and understanding for where those people are coming from, as opposed to just writing them all off as like hateful bigots. But I do agree that it has to come from someone who shows you love in other ways. Because if it is someone who's just hateful, then fuck them anyway. Like, whatever they think, yeah. fuck them. But if it's a parent that's like, I really love you and I want the best for you, then a little compassion is is a good thing to have, but it also is not an obligation. And my therapist has told me, like, I don't have to have charitable thoughts about the fucked up things my parents did. Uh, it's nice if I do for them, but it's definitely not an obligation anyone has to forgive people for hurting them. Yeah. I would like to see a little flash forward of like Megan and Graham living together happily oh, and yeah. you know maybe <laughs> resolving things with her parents someday. Like I would like to believe that they can all get around to that point mm-hmm. but it's also understandable. Sometimes you just can't. Like you just have to make your decisions to be the happiest person you can and sometimes that involves not letting people who want to hurt you back into your life it'd be fun to see like everyone's 10 years in the future you know it's yeah. like who who was able to end up living as yeah. they really are yeah, yeah i feel like melanie linsky's character definitely winds up back in the closet somehow <laughs> <laughs> or running a very similar you know and thumbs yeah. up the, the cycle right. of abuse perpetuates she was the best at becoming sturdy and she's the one who's like isn't it great to be straight Mm -hmm. like she's the example of the character who buys into it hook line and sinker she's like yes and i'm gonna do all these things and it's sad you pity her a little bit also like you realize that she's gonna go on and she's gonna probably inflict this on other people even though she's obviously yeah. not cured. Like, she's trying to feel up Jan. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. She is such a rule follower, and she really delighted in telling Megan all the rules and everything. Rise and shine at 7. Breakfast at 8. Group therapy until lunch. Now in the afternoon, we have free time to do, um, yeah, whatever. And then we move inside for reorientating exercises. Like and then busting Megan when she got in trouble yeah. with Graham. Yeah. Somehow Graham like emerges unscathed, but Megan, I'm assuming that's because Siobhan, who has a thing for Graham, tattles on them. Yeah, there was some <laughs> there was some fucked up narking. I know. Yeah, actually Megan narks and yeah. that's right. one of my hot probs with her. Yeah. She narks on the two boys. It's yeah. like, ew. I was like, oh that's not Yeah. That's not, not cool, cool, Megan. Not cool. Yeah, that is one thing. And I feel like she gets forgiven very quickly by Graham. She's really not in the doghouse very long. That is something that narratively I thought was a little bit of a not a continuity problem exactly, but just like, oh yeah, so Graham's just gonna forgive her because she thinks she's hot. Unfortunately, that is probably how it Yeah. <laughs> exactly correct. Oh, very. Awesome. Do you have any closing remarks about this movie, Kate, that you want to impart? I just want to say thank you for letting me talk for, I felt like I totally dominated the conversation, so sorry about that. No. No, I think, yeah, I love it. Thank you. This movie means so much to me. It is the movie I've seen more than any other movie other than Showgirls. Um, (laughs) Whereas that is more of just, I like to watch it and just hate know me so, so much. (laughs) Laugh at how horrible it is. Like, this is just a genuine, sweet, means a lot. 
fun yeah. to be kind of movie. So it was yeah. a real gift to getting it. And, and it's something that I feel like no one has seen. I don't really get to talk about a lot. So yeah. uh, it was really nice to have this space and be able to like do the research for it. Probably the most fun research I've ever done. I really enjoyed the research too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jamie Babbitt is so like not problematic too. Like yeah. she really tried hard to cast a movie that was diverse. Mm-hmm. That she's always tried to like lift people up who are people of color mm-hmm. and put them into positions like even just her assistant. She advertised for it on Craigslist rather than using the studio's list of people who had been assistants before. Oh, because that's awesome. She wanted to pull in people of color and people who had not had these opportunities. She's really neat. I really enjoyed learning about her. I wish that she got to direct more movies. And mm-hmm. I would like to get Barry Paris and Kevin Thighs and David Edelstein and Peter Bradshaw and Paul okay. Tatara. I'm just going <laughs> to scatter Legos in front of them for them to step on. <laughs> <laughs> Blame them all directly for her not getting more opportunities. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. I mean, she has done a lot of TV even recently. Yeah, her episode of uh, Only Murders is great. It's a popular show, too. So hopefully that'll open more doors. And she's young. She was 29 when she made this movie. Oh, wow. So she's like 10 years older than me. I mean, she's still got a lot of filmmaking years left, if that's what she chooses to do. So fingers crossed, Jimmy, about it. (laughs) And a lot of new perspective, too, probably. And at least a little bit more wiggle room. Right, (laughs) you would think. I feel like there will be a trans person or maybe a bi person in her next. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Why not both? (laughs) Shoot for the stars. I was just going to say, I hope you put a clip of the cheer from the end in our episode. I just love (laughs) it so much. Oh, You're the one that I adore. I just love that. One, two, three, four. I won't take no anymore. Five, six, seven, eight. I want you to be my mate. One, two, three, four. You're the one that I adore. Five, six, seven, eight. Don't run from me because this is she is so adorable in that role oh my god (laughs) he's so cute but that was like kind of one of my hot props oh really like she's not that good at cheer same thing I was like this is not much of a cheer like one two three (laughs) one two three four you're the one that I adore I just love it's a lot to ask and also Natasha like god love her was probably like rolling on coke at the time (laughs) Yeah. If anything, though, I feel like that should have kept up the cheer. (laughs) Maybe she was coming down. This movie has a great soundtrack, first of all. Oh, yeah, it does. I'm so sad it's never been, like, put out in any commercial way. Like, I have, like, a bootleg one that I have like on cd that my sister burned for me like 20 years ago but mm. i would bet there's like spotify playlists yeah i was gonna say that is one nice thing about spotify right. is you can make the soundtracks that don't exist right <laughs> i'm sure somebody has done it so the gainsburg estate had to give her permission to use chick habit which mm. is like the original is la celle tante le fil or something i don't know it's the cover but they still had to get permission from the gainsburg estate to use it and so she wrote to the Gainsbourg estate and they wrote back, We only allow music to be used in movies that we think Papa would have liked. We <laughs> love your movie. I was like, Oh, the Gainsbourgs are cool. The Gainsbourgs are movies. The soundtrack on this is great, except I do feel like the music at the end, because it's like that same, it's their love scene song. 
I wish it was just like a little peppier or a different mm. song, maybe. Mm-hmm, you didn't yeah. have to bring that one back at the end. That's my very, very small note on this. It's just, I wish that scene had a little more energy. (laughs) I guess I like that, though, because it just makes her seem so normal, right? She's not, like, a genius. She's not a poet. She's just a real, regular girl. Girls don't have to be intellectual. They just make people feel good. Can't all be, bring it on. She's just, she's a normal cheerleader. And I do like that cheering gives her such a sense of happiness. She's later on, like, that's what got me through. Except for what? Don't laugh, okay? Mm-hmm. Except for when I was cheerleading. Really? I'm serious. So it sounds stupid to you, but I really love it. Cheerleading's the one thing that's kept me happy. Yeah. I think that's very sweet. Yeah. I just wish <laughs> Natasha. <laughs> Right. <laughs> She's like, I'm already doing so mind. much here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Suppressing this accent is not easy. <laughs> it's true. She's adorable, though. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Kate. This yeah, was great. Thank you for having me on. I really, really enjoyed it. We'd love to have you back for another episode. I don't know. I mean, you've now done every movie that I've seen in the last year. Happiest Season, Showgirls, and uh, Uh Cheerleader. (laughs) That's kind of my rotation. Well, if you ever see another movie you like, let us know. Yeah. I don't know. If you enjoyed this episode of Paid in Puke, please take a minute to give us five stars on your preferred podcast app. If you did not enjoy it, no further action is necessary. Paid in Puke is hosted by Jessica Baxter, Amy Green, and Christina Barr. Follow us on Twitter at Paid in Puke Pod, on Blue Sky at Paid in Puke Pod, on Instagram at Paid in Puke Seattle, and on Facebook at Paid in Puke Podcast. Paid in Puke is produced and edited by Divine Betty Media. Music by Silent Partner and Jessica Baxter. Thanks for listening. You're beautiful. Lick it up, baby. Lick it up.